Okay, go. We're going. We're going. We're, we're going. All right, guys. Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 65. Um, <laughs> it's actually like episode 65, take two. <laughs> we should never speak of yes. the echoey episode. Never speak of that. All right. Anyway, so we before we jump into things, I want to remind everyone to please like, comment, like, subscribe, comment, subscribe, all those things. If you feel so generous and you want to donate some money to us, we would love that. We could definitely use it. We love your money. Yes. And we, you know, we do a lot to like make this happen and. Anyway, all right, I'm done with that. There are links in the description. <laughs> PayPal, Venmo. So today we today we are joined once again by the based, the beautiful, the brilliant, the artistic Laura Becker. Welcome, Laura. Woo! Laura, guys. Laura has been on the show once before. Um, she spoke with us a few months ago now. Wow, it's actually been a while. It's been like what, like half what was it like October or it's like uh, I think it was, was it really October. That long? Wow. And but it's what's crazy about it is I feel like that conversation of all the the episodes we've had and we've had quite a few now, that one is definitely one of the ones that I feel is going to be like timeless. Um it's always going to be relevant. I think we're starting to see the issues we discussed in that first episode, you know, your detransition detransition journey, the issue of this stuff on young people. All that stuff, I think, is going to become more and more relevant as this begins to unravel. So, I think so. You know, what's funny about that was that was one of the very first, um, this, the interview I did with you guys is one of the first interviews that I've done. And I was, it was right, it was early on when I was sort of becoming public. Uh, you know, I was doing all this stuff in the background, but it wasn't really up in your face. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more out there. I'm seeing I was it very honored that and flattered and surprised. And now I'm, I'm getting a bit jaded. I'm a little used to it. The attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of interviews, but I, well, I remember, I remember you, you tweeted something not that long ago and you were like, man, I kind of get tired of talking about the D trans stuff. And like, and I hate being like known for that. Like that's all I'm known for. Oh, I'm this D trans person or whatever. And yeah, and, you know, we're definitely not going to just talk about that. And I do want to talk art and all that stuff again. Well, but that's one thing that I really appreciated too, from the first time was we didn't just talk about the D tranny stuff. We did not talk about the art and, 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 you know, spiritual stuff and, yeah. and other stuff. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to more get into, but obviously I'm always down to to rehash some trauma, whatever. You know? Well, we wanted a holistic picture of who Laura Becker is. Obviously, you know, your D trans part is part of that's part of your journey. It's something that you went through that is inevitably gonna like it's gonna color the your your future, right? It's I mean I'm not gonna say it's gonna taint you, but it's always gonna be part of your journey in a sense. And so it's part of your story. But who else is Laura Becker? You know, besides that. Oh God. <laughs> so many other things. You know, you make music, you you make visual art, and you know, you write, you have a blog. So there's definitely more to you than that. But we do want to talk to you about that stuff because you have the experience. And I think more people are looking for voices like yours right now in the miasma of this conversation. Mm. And one of the things we did want to talk to you about is Matt Walsh's film from the Daily Wire, uh, What is a Woman? And, and yeah, you have seen it, correct? I, I asked did, you. yeah. We watched it. Um, you know, what did you think of it? Brent and I have some thoughts in it too, and we watched it a couple times actually to really kind of digest it. But you know, what were your thoughts on it? Do you feel it was well done? Do you feel like it's gonna have an impact? I think it's definitely gonna have an impact. I think it has already, just in its 
controversy. Um, you know, I, in the past, I think I might've talked about this before, but in the past, you know, I was very, you know, radical leftist, very, very left-wing progressive. And because of the, the D-trans um, kind of mindfuck of, you know, understanding that I didn't have the awareness nearly as much as I thought I might have had when I was 20, um, it's kind of sparked my gradual but steady progression into a very center moderate. I mean, I still lean more liberal, but it's it's very moderate on so or, many issues. Or similar, so. Yeah. Or we vibe, I think that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, in the past, you know, I never would have watched some, you know, Matt Walsh, like right wing conservative, you know, propaganda media, right? Us either. But, <laughs> now I regularly watch, um, I mean, I don't agree with all of his opinions, but or, there's very, there's like no one that I agree with all of their And there, oh, there's dogs already. God damn it, I was hoping we'd have a little more time before they interrupted us. And honestly, I don't think you should agree with anyone on everything. That's, yeah. Now I, and we're back. We're back. Oh, you're going to edit this out. Okay. <laughs> all right. We Through the are, magic of editing. We are, the magic of editing. We are back. So we were talking about Matt Walsh and we were talking about, um, you know, how weird it is and, you know, to be in the, a current place in your life where now you are seeking out voices like this who are considered on the right or considered more conservative um, on this issue in particular. And one of the things I want to say is that, you know, part of that, I think, is just because they're talking about it. And you mentioned not agreeing with everything you're saying. And like I was saying before, you shouldn't agree with everyone and everything. It's boring. I don't know anyone I agree with everything on. But they're talking about it. And I think the fact that they're talking about it is why you're seeking those voices out. Because who's talking about it? You want to know. Like, who's talking about these things? I have experience with this. And the fact of the matter is the left, or I should say the ideologue radical type lefties, the woke types, or just just the quiet Democrats who don't want to rock the boat and say anything, they are unwilling to address these aspects of the subject that Matt Walsh is addressing. And, you know, the biology of it, what's happening with kids, all these things, you know, they make it seem like it's sunshine and rainbows. Everyone who gets this is, is going to be like, they're going to feel better and it's going to help them and heal them. And, and that's not what we're seeing. And they don't want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, part of the reason I've been watching People like Matt Walsh is because, not just because they're covering the gender stuff and they are one of the only ones talking about it and we agree in many ways, but also because I've just come to really appreciate, for lack of a better term, like the, you know, a positive patriarchal fatherly male <laughs> presence, like masculinity that's healthy, it's productive, there's discipline involved. It's, it's not overly, he's not like overly aggressive too, yeah. but he's, he's stern and he's like, he's stoic. Like he's, he's really good at keeping his composure when he talks about these things and asks the question, but he's not like aggressive with it. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So. He's not aggressive. He's not, I mean, he has a sense of humor and there's some, you know, you know, but it's not insulting. Yeah. It's not derogatory. You know, it's very just common sense, rational. Um, and so I think that the documentary or the film was, was the same way. It was very level-headed. I was, you know, cause there's a lot of media that on the, on the right that tends to be very bombastic and like the, even the music they use is this scare tactics and lots of like orchestral, like crescendo music happening. Yeah. But this, I was like, even the music, I was like, you know what, this is just kind of 
it's clever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just pleasant. It's not overbearing. It's it's just sort of like it yeah, gave like, you the space. It gave you the space to really think about the subject, which is mm -hmm. what I love so much about the film. And I love the way that the title itself is kind of it is the argument. It kind of sums up what he's trying to show here is the fact that they dance around answering this. And when they do answer the question, what is a woman? They have this circular definition. You know, a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. Right. And then he asks, well, what is that? A woman, a woman. What is that? They identify as a woman. What are they identifying as? Yeah. And it's just like you, it really breaks the whole thing apart. Just the question itself. So I think it's, it's clever that he named it that too. Mm -hmm. you know, that's like, yeah, I, I liked, I, you know, he never, you know, it wasn't argumentative. That's what it really was inquisitive. It what, you know, all those people he posed the question to, he never, you know, gave them the answer, right? He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to tell you off right now. It wasn't like, oh, kind of I'm asking you. He's like, I want yeah. you to ask me, like, I want you to tell me what, what is, answer the question for me. Right. He wanted just like any definition that yeah. actually gave a tangible answer. A and it never came until, yeah. you know, I mean, there was, there was some kind of parts of the documentary that were a little bit like pokey to me, like the ending. Yeah. I mean, I was like, okay. It was cute though. It was kind it, of. It was like, I didn't have a problem with it, but I was like, yeah. So he finally gave the or his wife gave the definition at the end, you know, the actual dictionary definition. Yeah, Peterson was, the same like, was, Peterson was mm -hmm. like, go go marry one and ask them. Find yeah, out. And find I out. know, Jordan. I know. I wasn't sure what he was going to say. And I was like, yeah, that's very him. That's a good answer. <laughs> Daddy Peterson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Uh, so I, there was, it was interesting to see some people I knew in the documentary. There was another detransitioner in it that I know. And Jordan, I mean, I don't know him, but like spiritually, I know him. Yeah, um, I get that. <laughs> and then there were the some very, you know, disturbing individuals, like the blue-haired lady. I don't remember what her name was. Oh, she was a real creepo, wasn't she? My yeah. my favorite. Like, so her whole thing was that she's a um, an abortion doctor. Oh yeah, she's and like a lizard man. And she also did gender affirming care, yeah. quote unquote, for young children, uh, you know, un minors. And she would sit there and sort of like, you know, constantly affirm that these children were capable of making these kind of decisions. And Matt Walsh was yeah. just like, when he made that like Santa Claus comparison, I thought yeah. that was a really, yeah. Yeah. She, exactly. she, she had this childlike way of speaking. Actually, basically all of them did that affectation. And Josh Slocum talks about that often on his show. And you can really yeah. observe it in those people. Uh, the most entertaining one for me was the male scholar at the university. I can't remember what university he went to, but watching that guy like squirm in his chair. And then, you know, when Matt Walsh was like, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a definition. And he was like, well, what kind of answers have you gotten so far? And Matt was just like, <clears throat> well, a lot of this, I've gotten a lot of this, you know, people not answering the question. <laughs> and it's just, it. Like I said, they really seem to want to, they dance around it. There's an avoidance of answering the question. Right. And that says something there, I think. It's just, and I was personally uncomfortable during that because it was so awkward, but because also I've experienced similar things because I just graduated college. So like literally like yeah. a couple weeks ago, I was, gonna ask I was in that. classes, right? Where there's people 
like that and yeah. professors like that. And the thing is, like, I know they're really sweet. They're very kind. They mean well. They, they mean well, but it's always, like I say, the well-intentioned but ignorant liberals. Yeah. You know, yep. They're just, and that's a professor. He reminds me of professors that I've known. They're very nice, but they won't, it's like, it's, I always talk about how it's not really kind if you're going to lie. You know, yeah. it's like you don't want to have a therapist or, you know, a partner or to yourself even. Like, you, you can't be dancing around the truth all yeah. the time because you're going to get hurt. And, you know, that's what happens is, you yes. know, people like me and others have gotten hurt because of an avoidance of, of just language and, and the truth. And, and that one woman in particular, yeah, the way she was speaking, it was just creepy because her affectations were like, Oh, you know, the kiddos, I mean, they know, they know that, <laughs> It's like they, they have an appropriate understanding of Santa Claus. What? It wasn't real, but they have an even a more appropriate understanding of gender. Yeah. They're so it's like it's it's yeah. really creepy. Well, like you said, it, it's it's not loving to lie. Yeah. And it reminds me of what Peterson said in the documentary. He said, you know, it's not my job to affirm. That's not my job as a psychologist. Yeah, I'm so glad he said that. Oh, no, like. It's to get exactly. to the bottom, he said, you know, I'm here to represent the highest part of you. <laughs> Something along those mm -hmm. lines he said. And, and right. to, you, to get to that. But <laughs> you don't do that by affirming, you know. And this is why I think Peterson's message resonates is so many people out there for a long time have been told you're perfect the way you are. You're fine. You're special. You're unique. And that is not what we need to hear to grow. That is not what we need to hear to better ourselves as individuals. We need to hear maybe you're not what you could be maybe you haven't reached your full potential yet maybe you could be better maybe there are things you're avoiding maybe there are things about yourself that you need to fix that you don't want to look at things like that that's what you need to hear and that's what a psychologist is going to try to help you get to the bottom of affirming you know you could affirm any coping mechanism as a good thing and how do we know that that's not what this is happening you know at a large scale and again, not to say dysphoria doesn't I identify exist. as a heroin addict, and I would like the doctor to affirm my yeah. addiction by providing me with clean needles and heroin. <laughs> exactly, you. exactly. Yeah, it's very similar. So, but on that note, too, I want to talk about the flip side of this and some legit, what I think are decent, accurate criticisms of the film. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you saw Blair White's recent video review of it. Um, yeah, I did. I did see it. So she made some really good points. Um, she, he, <laughs> Blair wouldn't care if I used both, but yeah. I don't have a problem saying she would Blair because when I look at Blair, I'm like, that really does look like a woman, but right. I know in my head cognitively, it's like, that's a male biologically. But anyway, Blair made some great points about this. And one of the things she mentioned was they should have included, doesn't, didn't have to be her specifically. Although I think because of how well-known Blair is would have been perfect, right? Guess right, that. I'm surprised. I was kind of expecting her to show up. Yeah, exactly. But like just other, anyone, anyone who is an adult who is trans and did trans transition, like Buck Angel, for example, and they did settle into that and agree with Matt and what's happening, right. you know, and they, meaning in disagreeing with what's happening with the kids and pushing it and this ide ideology and all that stuff. I think it, one, it would have strengthened his argument. Um, two, it really, I think would have helped other people who might be less likely to listen 
listen, I think it would have made them a little more likely to listen, seeing like, oh, well, look, they did have trans people in this documentary who settled into it. And even one of the doctors they talked to, she talked about dysphoria and like, that is a thing. Like it is a real thing, but it's like, how do we separate the people in these situations, right? Who don't feel normal in their body when they're young. How do we separate the legit dysphoria from say coping mechanisms, a fad, um, fitting in, right? Trauma, things like that. How do we separate those people out? And when should we do that too, you know? And, and should we have a hard line? I don't know, you know, where we, mm -hmm. we don't allow them to transition until they're adults. I don't know the answers to that. I personally think I lean towards, yes, we should, you know, we might have to have some government regulation to step in here and say, look, you know, the kids have rights in this shit too. Um, yeah, I mean, that's my view too, is, you know, at least 21, um, and then after that, it's it's harder. Yeah. But I agree with everything you said at the criticisms of the film. Um, I also agree with what Blair said about how, you know, why didn't they make it more available? Like yeah. I, someone yeah. sent me like a free torrent of it. That's how I watched it. Yes, that's a good point. The paywall too, I thought was an excellent criticism because look, most people who are going to subscribe to the Daily Wire are probably the people who already agree with the positions that Matt is putting out in the film. And that's a great point. You know, what you want is you want that film to be more available to the people who need to hear it. And yeah, I think he wanted to have, I mean, I agree it was, it was very ideological and sort of for his audience, but part of it was like he was asking you know, common pedestrians and, you know, the everyman in some, some sense. I mean, some people were very weird. They weren't the everyman, but like the wolf guy. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think, I hope at some point he will make it publicly uh, distributed and available. Cause I've even talked to like a regular person, like a normie straight guy who like, I was enlightening him with this and he was like, well, I, I'm not going to like subscribe to the Daily Wire to yeah. watch this. I've just heard, you know, I mean, it sort of makes it more infamous if you're just hearing all these negative things about it. So I don't know if that was a, you know, marketing intention to like limit it and make it build it up because you, you're not actually seeing the full story. But I think it works perfectly well. Like you could show this to an average person and they would clearly be able to understand. But I think if. I, I do think it would have made the argument stronger to have some examples of trans people um, that 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 were what where it was successful, and so it wasn't so one-sided, and they could have agreed and shown some of the nuances of it. I, I mean, I think that's what I wanted to see more of as well. You know, before I even saw Blair's criticism, I felt the same. I was like, it would have been nice to see someone like Blair in the film to give their perspective on what's happening. Mm -hmm. Because again, they agree with the general points of the film. And, you know, I think when we ally more with folks like Blair, we're gonna, we're really gonna make more progress in this and, and protecting the kids. Cause that's what it's about ultimately for me is just protecting the kids. Like I don't really yeah. care what adults do, you know, in, in your, with your body and in, in your private life, all that stuff that none of that, I don't care, it doesn't affect but when you're involving kids, it's just, it's different, you know? And Brett and I are very, like, we have a hard line with that. We, we want to keep kids out of LGBT stuff. We don't think it's for them. It's for adults, so. Right. Yeah, I agree. But I, I will say a little, on another topic of the film, my favorite part 
was when he went and talked to the African tribe. Yes. That was my favorite part. So I wish that he would have, like, I know maybe it's a little cliche. Like, I think a criticism from the other side might be like, oh, it's so cliche. And yeah. They said he exploited it. No. I saw some comments where they said he exploited that tribe. And he responded what? to them online. He's like, so basically you're saying that these these people can't think and make their own decisions for themselves. I mean, when you think about it, when you, right, right. he said they, they were perfectly happy to be in the film and they, they were more than willing and they wanted to meet him and be a part. And, so right. and I love that. Like, I just love seeing, I would have loved to see more because when he was yes. I got excited that he might be kind of, I liked the map. Like, I, uh, agree. I agree. I had the same thought. I was like, that's it. He just went to Africa. And by the time the film was over, I was like, you didn't go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved if he went to so many different yeah. places and talked to all sorts of different men and women and, and from different countries and, and kind of got all their perspectives. I think he still would have made a good argument. He could do a part um, could mm -hmm. do a part two. It's a, it definitely leaves it open for like a sequel, you know, to further explore the question, what is a woman? Um, another thing I want to talk about too is like the film without having to put it at the forefront also addresses the question, what is a man? And, you know, Brent and I are very concerned about that too as well. Because right. And clearly, and, you know, this is happening both ways. We are having, we are having women identifies men. Um, you were once one of these types of people. <laughs> and, I was on Grindr. Uh, yeah. yeah. So one of the things we, Brent and I have noticed too, is this trend, and it's mostly on Twitter. I mean, I haven't encountered this sort of thing in real life, but of trans men or people who just support this stuff saying that trans men are men, right? Just like they're saying trans women are women. And that if you as a gay man don't want to sleep with a trans man, you are a bigot, you're a transphobe. And that a trans man who identifies as gay, meaning a heterosexual woman, um, <laughs> it can say they are now a gay man. And it's like, what are, what are the point of these terms now if we're going to just eliminate all of this nuance, you know, last time I checked the gay man does like the whole entire parts mm -hmm. of a man, including the <clears throat> sexual anatomy, not just what it looks like from the top up. And to say mm -hmm. that we have to then accept what you have there, either if it's a vagina or if it's a facsimile penis or, or whatever it is, that if we don't accept that as sexually attractive to us, that there's somehow like something wrong with us now. And how is that not homophobia? <laughs> Oh yeah, it definitely is. It's regressive as hell. Um, it just sucks because we started making progress on these yeah. things, like embracing androgyny, women. Yeah. I mean, some of it was in the liberal feminist sort of stew of bullshit, but a lot of it was good. A lot of it was, you know, gay acceptance. People were being, you know, funky men and women, and they were trying new things, and it was creative. And now it's backwards again because you know it's like i keep coming back to the idea like weirdness does not mean you need to change your sex you know a uniqueness is not transness um and that and uniqueness is not non-binaryness yeah. you know just because you are creative and kind of quirky mm -hmm. or autistic which is usually this kind of archetype that i've developed right but it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your body. It, the only thing wrong with it is that you're not accepting it. You're not giving it the respect that it deserves. You know, when I was, you know, a gay man, right? I 
I wasn't respecting my body at all. All right. I wasn't um, kind of validating its power and potential and um, even how, you know, everything that it's done for me um, because I was so hypercritical of, because I was comparing myself to gay men and, you know, I, and other women, you know, the subconscious, like misogyny um, played a part. And then when I detransitioned, I started part of how I started accepting myself was realizing like, you know, my body has, it's done everything for me, everything I've been able to do in my life, even, even though I've had a lot of really like shitty relationships and like sexual experiences and things, still all the pleasure that I've had is because of my female anatomy, right? Like I, and I was just obsessed with, you know, male genitalia and, and feeling like, oh, this is more powerful. This is, you know, what, you know, gay men would want and completely blocking out all of the other part of, of, um, of being a human being, which is the female component. Yeah. And I had a lot of misogyny, right? I, I didn't think of it. I used to, there's a poem, there's poems that I've written um, that I read now that are so sad. They're so tragically sad. Um, I know what that's so, like. <laughs> as, as a poet, I know what that's like, especially yeah. going back reading like shit we like wrote when we were like really young. Like, oh. Yeah. Well, they're <laughs> always tragically sad. I mean, always tragically sad. Always tragically sad. But this was like, this is stuff that I want to publish it at some point, but it's it's just really vulnerable. It's like stuff like, you know, I'm a feminist, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a horrible feminist because I want, you know, women's rights or whatever, but I don't even accept the woman in myself. So I'm a terrible feminist, you know, just stuff like that. But I was just so insecure, right, from like the undiagnosed PTSD and the you know, dehumanization from the uh, uh, verbal abuse and things as, as a child. Um, but yeah, I, when I think I, I mean, from my perspective, gay men were, they were not putting up with this shit um, nearly as much as women were putting up with the, uh, the trans lesbian thing. Because I remember feeling like really, really horrible about, about myself. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, you know what? I was just some, I was, I, it was so weird. It was, there's so many stories like of being on Grinder, and all of these guys, I was just like, ah, you know, it's like, I, I knew deep down that it wasn't right, you yeah. know? And so I didn't want to bother them. And so that's why I started focusing like on bisexual men. Cause there are a lot of bisexuals there, but it didn't work out for me because like they were mostly there to meet men, you know, yeah. um, that was one of the only women on there at the time. And now I wonder if you were to go on these apps, like how much, what would the ratio be now of like FTMs and what would the discourse be? I haven't, you know, thankfully been on there in a very long time, but it's like, I feel like there's people who have to put up in their profiles now, like only biological men, right? <laughs> they have to have really strict yeah. boundaries. But if you do that, you're going to get messages calling you a, a transphobe or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I remember back in the day before, you know, Dan and I were a monogamous item and I was on the apps. There was, it was very common for people to list their, you know, like there was a big issue with like quote unquote racism on the apps because people would put things like, you know, no Asian people, you know, no, I don't want, I don't like this group. I don't like that group. 
Um, and, you know, they were considered racists for like putting that up front. And, you know, it's just like, is that really racism though? Like, no, I'm, but I mean, it is a little like turn off. It's like if someone comes on to you and they are one of those racial groups and you're not attracted to that, you could just politely reject them. You don't have to like announce that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, because well, there could very, be exceptions, you know. And, and I it's, agree. Yeah. It's, it's it's not. I, I don't. I I I wasn't one of those people. But yeah. I just thought it was funny that and then we've gone from that to now. It's like you have this explicitly state yeah. that you're only interested in biological males or females or whatever. It just we're yeah. so confused. It went. Culture. It went from just you know top bottom verse to. It's like dating is hard enough as it is. <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, in the last like two three years, between the gender mania and you know the coof paranoia, we've made dating like infinitely more difficult for all the single people. Out there. Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely know about it, and um, it's just you know what's you know what I've gotten like you know. It's been a couple of years of evolution from like trans to detrans to like, um, I don't know what I am today, but when my like androgyny oh God. level. Funk God. Yeah, it's just funk now. But like, for example, I like last summer, I was looking pretty much like this. I mean, I've lost some weight since then and gotten new glasses or whatever, but like I was wearing this shirt and I was, you know, at a bar or whatever and a girl said to me, you know, you look like the most non-binary person I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was just like, really? Because I'm green, like that, this is, I mean, I know this is a shirt that was marketed to men, but like, besides that, besides just the fact that I have like good taste and it's a little bit quirky, how was that, you know, in the nineties, this wasn't an issue. Yeah. Right? Like, in the eighties, this wasn't an issue. It's really frustrating. I'm just like people asking me my pronouns. I mean, I know they're trying to be polite. Yeah. But I read through it. I'm just like, I don't, you don't have to call me they. But luckily, like since growing out my hair, that's been, I think the main thing of people now just sort of assume. Um, so, but yeah, it's, uh, it was painful for a while though, because people, I was sort of in the middle. I mean, I would still look like a woman. I mean, I always looked like a woman this whole time. But, like, I was just really, like, kind of disheveled and depressed or overweight and thing, which, you know, can kind of masculinize you or it's, uh, you're not performing femininity. You're not even, like, grooming yourself, right? So it's like, there's, I guess that's, that's more ambiguous. But it was rough for a while when I was kind of. You were stereotyping men that we don't groom ourselves. Daniel's no, like, I'm saying that that is a thing. I, I mean, like, it's a stereotype. Well, women tend to do more beauty rituals. It's right? true. I mean, I'm just joking, obviously. Yeah. Men are definitely grosser. Yeah, Daniel, sometimes. Yeah, I, no, they are. They are. But I'm saying, like, I gotcha. like, not doing even some of the basic grooming rituals. Like, and it's an autism thing. I really believe it's an autism thing. Like autistic people, they like wearing like very comfortable clothes. They wear just baggy clothes. They my father, comfortable. Yeah, my mm. father is this way. Mm. He's this way. You know, he's never been. You know, he was better when he was younger, and then as he's aged, he's your gotten dad worse. also he has trauma. Well, but I think he might also be on the spectrum, and he, even his sister, my aunt, believes that as well. You know, we've talked about that over the years, but he's not like officially like diagnosed or whatever. Um, 
he refuses that actually. <laughs> but just if you look at the symptoms and even the things you're describing and like what he would explain as to why he wears the clothes he wears, that's how he would say it to, you know, he, mm -hmm. he doesn't care what people think of him. He just wants to be comfortable and, you know, he'll do that to the point where like he won't shower for like days sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I had a lot of trouble with that and like brushing teeth, putting on deodorant, um, even like brushing hair, like the hairstyle, you know, you don't want to put on too much makeup. You don't want to wear like me, you know, I like dec I'm very I like decorative knickknacks and things, but it's yeah. still like I can only wear like, you know, maybe one ring at a time, for example. Like I can't wear like a million rings, like just just little things like nail polish and stuff. Like I can do it once in a while, but it's like if there's too much sensory stuff going on, it's just like I so saw in the past I was mostly just wearing like just the most, you know, raggedy clothes, you know, that you can wear just the same sort of thing. Um, and yeah, men are in general, they don't wear as many ornaments and things. Um, they're not as, you know, you know, taking the time. And that's one of, one of the big reasons I also felt more masculine, even though I was like thinking I was a gay man, Yeah. but I compensated for that. Cause I was like, well, I'm not totally like only wearing like, you know, boot cut, you know, pants or whatever. Like I'll wear like the quote unquote, like gay, you know, like a Hawaiian shirt or just like really stereotypical gay. What are you thing. saying? Gay, gay men just wear Hawaiian shirts? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they only wear Hawaiian shirts and no, pink one, it's like yeah. one Hawaiian shirt in this apartment right now. That's like, actually yeah. sad. That, that actually is very Maybe fresh. Two. Maybe two. Shirts. Okay. Maybe two. Okay. I love t-shirts. A lot of t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But then I, I realized though that my aesthetic wasn't even gay. It was like, there's like, you know how I really, I'm into comedians a lot. That's like my type. Um, it's like, who, what do like straight male comics wear? They wear Hawaiian shirts. It's just like, there's, there's so many like aesthetics that got twisted up in my brain and none of them were like female clothes or like grooming rituals. And then it, that confused me. And now I'm just like, this is so stupid that I really thought that that meant that that I couldn't, you know, exist yeah. in my body. Yeah. Well, remember, so it's it's making me think of something Peterson said in the documentary as well. And what is a woman? He said, you know, some some boys are are feminine and some girls are more masculine. And like, what are we going to do about that? Carve them up? And it's a really good question because it's like. It's so interesting to see how the woke types are the ones actually pushing the stereotypes more now, in my opinion, of what it means to be a man and a woman. They're the ones who are completely basing this on things like that, how you appear, how you wear your hair, what type of the clothes activities you, you enjoy, the activities the you, you enjoy, prefer, things like that. Colors like, that you like. All the things besides what actually makes a man a man and a woman a woman. Right. So it is very interesting to see, but you know, again, it's like it's okay to be a masculine woman, and it's okay to be a feminine man, and some are, you know, and that that's fine. And I know feminine men who are maybe feminine in like their mannerisms and the way they talk, but personality-wise, are very masculine, very disagreeable, still, still very disagreeable, still very stern, and they will stand up, and and they're not like meek type people so those things can mix too you can be feminine in some ways and masculine in others and there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't mean you're the other gender and right. <laughs> what are you doing by pushing that idea 
so young on so many people now, an entire generation of kids. It's going to be a lot of damage. And this is why I said at the beginning that I think that conversation we had, the first one, and even this one, I think these are going to be timeless conversations. People are going to look back at this time period and they're going to be like, you know, what what was happening? Who was doing something? Who was talking about this? You know, was anything being done? And at least, you know, I can lay my head down on my pillow and so can you and so can Brent and we can have our consciousness clear and know like, you know, we said something, at least we talked about it and tried mm -hmm. you know, spread this awareness. Like, Hey, there's a problem happening here. Like we should address this. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's one of my greatest concerns is, is how confusing it is to children because yeah. I do, I think, you know, when we say like a man can be feminine and a woman can be masculine, I think people are somewhat confused about what that means because it can mean, a couple different things one it can mean like just personality and that's usually what it is right like the agreeableness disagreeableness yeah. uh, more neuroticism you know things like that or it could mean just fashion and aesthetics you know what type of clothes do you wear how do you style your hair um and then it can mean behavior and mannerisms and like career interests and things like that usually there's some correlation between them and those are it's just and that's all you know classified as gender identity but it's really just personality spectrum. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm really concerned about kids because there's, you know, so many girls that think that because they want to have short hair or that they like playing sports or, um, you know, they don't dress hyper feminine that, oh, that means they're a boy. And it's happening for the boys too. It hasn't been talked about as much, but it's happening still as, because it's yeah. happening more to the girls now. That's part yeah. of why I think it is being talked about more and why the, you know, the film itself focused on the question of what is a woman, but also it's affecting women more because we're, you know, look at the realm of sports and things like that and the bad yeah. issue. So, you know, if, if you, if you put a trans man into men's sports, they're not going to have an advantage. Right. And if, or if you stick, you know, a trans man in, into a men's bathroom, they're not going to have an advantage over the men in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Not always. There could obviously there are women who could beat men up and that sort of thing who are bigger, and there are men who are small. But mostly, we know that there's a biological difference between them, right? A disparity of force. Um, mm -hmm. So it's affecting women more, and now we're we're seeing an increase of it happening among girls more than among boys. But yes, it is definitely happening to boys. And yeah, I mean, so like in the trans, you know, the D trans circles, kind of the D trans. Um, male voices have now been kind of breaking through and that's you know causing a lot of controversy because yes it is mainly women's issues and therefore it's mainly feminists and women that are you know pioneering and doing so much of the important work but I, I mean I see similarity I see a lot of similarities between what's happening to the girls and the boys even if the girls are much higher rates the, the young boys um, and adolescent boys and teenage boys you know, they're thinking like, oh, because I don't want to, this, I don't want to go and, you know, have like aggressively like have sex with a woman or I get turned off by porn. It's so violent or, you know, because I'd rather have long hair or because I'm a little, you know, more agreeable or something like that. They're thinking that they're trans, um, that they should be girls. And it's really interesting how both girls and boys are just trying to escape sort of their, you know, uh, realities or, you know, even though there's pros and cons to the realities there, the girls are trying to escape 
from the awful, you know, misogyny, the pressures and the confinements. And they're trying to free themselves from that. And then the boys are, and because, you know, as Josh Slocum talks about on Disaffected and many are talking about now, like it's become, the culture is so feminized now that there isn't a space for the masculine boys um, or even just maleness and, um, you know, any type of positive uh, patriarchal, you know, masculine force. Yeah. And I've really come to appreciate that now. Yeah, well, it's like they've they've totally you know made masculinity out to be this big bad, uh, and we even have the the catchphrase of toxic masculinity. Yeah, thrown um, around regularly. Just thrown around regularly. Just you know, slap. We have. We talk about this is what pisses me off is like we use toxic masculinity just to describe any masculinity. Any masculinity. Even good masculinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah like the, we used to have this concept of chivalry, which was that men because of their biological advantages had a responsibility mm. to be kind and chivalrous and respectful towards women especially in the context of dating you know like the man would open the door for the woman he would you know always let her go first he would you know one walking along the side of the street the man would be on the side closest to the street and he would have the woman you know in towards the towards the walkway and like these whole ideas got sort of lambasted in the 90s we sort of like made fun of them for a while because the idea was that oh a woman doesn't need to be protected she's a strong independent woman she can do all this on her own and while that can be correct for some women uh some of the time you know some women actually want to be protected Protect it, yeah some women want to have the man be chivalrous yep. towards that and they want to be a stay-at-home mom and make like tons of babies that was my mother's whole thing she just wanted to you know her whole like thing in life was she wanted she to wanted be a mom to, she wanted yeah. to be a mom she wanted yeah. to have a bunch of babies there's nothing wrong with that either you know and it's a perfectly we, valid pursuit <laughs> we need that. I mean, it's, it's very and, common and it's very yeah, important obviously yeah. it's like how we're here but i like what you said about chivalry brian i think there's something to that you know that because men have these certain physical advantages um, that have we, we have a responsibility to keep that under control. And it made me think yeah. of this in quote. He said, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. I know. I love that quote so much. And then there's a similar one where he said um, that it's usually, God, I wish I could remember it verbatim, but it's basically like, most of the most evil men in the world, they're not evil. They're not strong enough to be evil. They're weak enough to be evil. Mm. Weakness is evil in men. And yeah. that has been such the case, you know, and for me, you know, dealing with certain people. Um, and what I don't, one of my biggest complaints is, um, is that the dating, the rules, there's no rules anymore. So. Right. Rules, they're guidelines, right? And they help contain and they help to move things along. So it's like, I don't, I think most women, not all, but most are generally fine with, you know, walking on either side of the street and they don't need certain kind of, some of the unnecessary customs. But the biggest thing is that men are just not approaching women. They're afraid to um, 
approach women. And I'm that really, really frustrates me it's because sad, yeah. as a woman, like I've been studying like evolutionary biology because I've had a lot of dating problems, you know, and like, <laughs> it's just like, what is wrong? I need to figure out what the hell's going on here. Yeah, literally I am turning to like evolutionary, like mating customs because yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and it's helping me so much to understand. I, like, yeah, totally. I know Jordan talks about this. Like, so I want to be, quote that I think you were talking about also yeah. I'm not sure if it's the same one but he said if you think tough men are dangerous wait until you see what weak men are capable of yeah yeah basically that Touch exactly that you know I think weak men are capable of more evil it's not that tough men aren't but I think there's also a sort of like obsession with strength that is a weakness in a yes, sense yes. I think those who are evil and obsessed with strength and power there's some kind of insecurity deep in them some kind of weakness but i mean i think there's a difference between strength and power yeah. and i think the line lies on responsibility yeah right you know that's something i've realized in trying to take more responsibility for my life and thank you daddy peterson lobster man <laughs> for that but but I thought he um, hates women. He's a, a misogynist and he thinks you're below him. Shut up, Daniel. <laughs> Jordan. See, I got into a conversation with someone, a normal person. A night, we had a civil discussion, but like, it's just so awful that I get into these conversations with people where they, Jordan Peterson comes up and then there's like, ooh, tense, scary topic. I've, then, had, I've had water dumped on my head. <laughs> Jordan? During a conversation, yes, about Jordan Peterson. Yes, what was said. Some years ago, right now. I mean, all I was simply saying was, you know, we, maybe you should listen to him more and, you know, really look at what he's saying and he's not what you think he is, you know? So I was talking to one friend of Brent's sister and we were the ones having the discussion. The other friend was on the couch, kind of half drunk listening and like throwing in a comment here and there. And then just during the argument, like gets she, just, up, goes she gets kitchen, up, gets, glass gets of water. a glass of water and just dumps it on my head. And like, <laughs> I was, I was livid. I was ready to throw her out of the house and yeah. You know, lucky that uh you know brent's sister defended her and was cooled cooled me down because it's not happy but. god that's so awful it's so crazy you can imagine how it is you know you know how it is because it's like you know these people are saying like oh he's evil and i'm just like that's my dad you <laughs> bastard that is my dad that is my father figure you know what i mean and i'm just like how do i even explain you know so i try to you know tease out the nuance and so one of the criticisms I'm seeing from the people who hate him now is like, well, look at this guy. He's a hypocrite. He's over here telling people like all these things about how to like live a great life and this and this and that. But look, he had an addiction problem and he did this and did that. And they point out all these flaws about him. Oh my God. He's human. Yeah. He's human. Uh -huh. And you know, when I see that stuff, it doesn't make me look at him as a hypocrite and say, hey, what this guy's saying must all be a bunch of BS because look, he his, he's not doing great. It makes me look at someone who's been through stuff and is still going. And that's exactly the type of person who I would want to take this advice from is someone who has experience, has been through the fire, has dealt with the darkness in themselves, maybe is still contending with it and, mm -hmm. is, you know, can light a little light and say, hey, look, you know, I'm this great scholar and I'm the smart guy and I seem to have it all, but I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm going right. to things myself. And, even, I want his advice. and yeah. even his imperfections, it's like, okay, if he wasn't such like an evil, controversial guy, bigot guy, I mean, 
if he was just a normal guy and he was yeah. going, he was being emotional or whatever, it's like, well, he's had to deal with like a lot of shit in the last couple of years, right? Like the cancer, the different illnesses, not to mention like smear yeah. <laughs> against him, and it's just, yeah, yeah. So it's like he, he, it's not even that. It's not perfect, but it, it, it's to me, it's like, well, really, like you're gonna fault him for being emotional. He's talking. He like researches evil like compulsively. You know, you're not going to be <laughs> happy all the time. Oh, rip on him because he cries. Yeah. As yeah. If, and this is what I find so interesting about the criticism and, and how much it's like so hypocritical yeah. is because like, you know, on one hand, they say masculinity is toxic because it doesn't express vulnerability or emotion. Yep. On the other hand, Jordan Peterson does that. They make fun of him. And they Look make how unstable he is. And Look they, at this and that. Yeah. They exhibit that same trait, that that hate of vulnerability that they claim that he's projected. It's just like such a fucking head fuck. So speaking of well-known public figures, now that we're talking about Peterson, and you know, you mentioned earlier talking about some feminists who are on the front. Oh, do you lines. want to transition yeah. to a new topic? We're going to transition, um, kind of stay on the topic, but I want to transition and let everyone know that despite how self-deprecating Laura is and self-critical and all these things, Laura mm -hmm. is, is really fucking cool. She's so cool. Laura is so fucking cool. And funky. And funky that J.K. Rowling is now following Laura on Twitter. It's true. She does follow me. And J.K. Rowling follows less than a thousand people. So this is a really niche group to be in. It and is, yeah. Followed by like 13 million. So that's, I mean, there's something there. You know, you I, mean, I kind of feel bad for her because she has to see like, <laughs> you know, it's like I imagine her just like your brands and like your sad posts yeah shit. my like sad poems my horny <laughs> tweets the raps all of it he hasn't interacted with any so i'm like what is she seeing you know i don't know, I don't know. and i can already hear your self-deprecating answer too like well she's just following me because i'm d-trans i'm worried I mean, that's why she found me that's probably but i like to think if yeah. she you know, you. learned about the funk yeah. that she'd be on board. Oh, so. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Shout out to JK Rowling, who's never going to watch this. But shout out to her. You, anyway. know, Daniel, you never know. You never know. She's definitely, you know, she's an interesting figure for sure. And I would, you know, she's played a part in my life for sure. I can't deny that at all as someone who grew up with Harry Potter books and all that stuff. So won't get into that. But, you know, she she's just a fascinating person. And I would like to talk to her just to like, get more not just her views on the gender stuff but just about her life and reflecting on like her work and the things she's done and all her accomplishments it's like man what a what a crazy legacy you know love yeah. her hate her what what a legacy she also woman. went from broke to a billionaire yeah dude kind of i know it's, it's just like the american dream but she is british and british no, i don't know what their version of it is their version of it the british crown dream i don't know <laughs> I don't know, but she's basically the most, you know, wealthy author there, you know, one of the most famous wealthy authors in the world. Let me ask you, Laura, since, so I was always worried that if somebody like famous followed me, it would like mess with my head a little bit. Cause then I like, I'd be afraid it would influence the way that I tweet. Cause I just, you know, I tweet whatever the heck I want to put out there. That's how I felt when Gary V followed me. But it's like, now I'm like, ah, like, do I want these people to like see my- That's like, how I felt when Gary V followed me. My rants me. and my thirst traps <laughs> and my like gender bendy TikTok videos. I'm like, oh. So do you, do you feel like it's 
you know, is it something you think about? Does it impact you in any way or no? Honestly, I don't think so much about her just because we haven't really interacted much, but there's other people like, like Josh Slocum, for example, like Josh, like I vibe with him because he is so like, you know, temperamental. And I'm like, listen, I get it. But there was times when I was like, is this gonna like, cause you know how he's so like, you he's, know, he's blind. Boundaries. He he has a lot of boundaries around himself. And I've just, and I get, you know, into these modes where I'm just like very melodramatic and can be a bit histrionic or whatever. I'm just like, am I gonna pass the Slocum test on this <laughs> one? But like apparently so. Yeah. So no, I mean, I no think, problem. I think if anyone understands that stuff when he you know if, if he comes across your melodrama you know i think he understands that you know just yeah. definitely he's been through the fire he's yeah real trauma um he's speaking from a place of experience for sure and i get why he erects those boundaries around himself and especially when you start to become a public figure and you know josh is not huge yet but he's definitely he's making some waves you know you have to do that you have to put a bit of boundaries around yourself um or it's going to drive you crazy, you know, and people on Twitter right. drive you crazy. So, yeah, they already drive me so crazy. Like today, for example, um, so Pitt, Parents Against Inconvenient Truth, it's a Substack. Um, they publish a lot of content about, you know, just kind of anonymous parent, parent stories. It's a parent support network for um, parents of trans identified kids and sort of the harm that's being done behind closed doors. And I do consultation with parents like that. I consult with them and there's a couple of teenage girls that I um, talk to and mentor. Wow. So I like, work closely with um, this population. Um, and so I published a small piece. They asked me just a couple questions. And honestly, when I answered them, I was like in a really dysregulated state. And so my answers were a little bit like shorter because usually I would really elaborate, but I, they were shorter, blunter and a little more angsty. Um, and I was like, whatever, you know, and they published that and it's gotten good reception. But I looked at it today and there was a couple things that really pissed me off, um, <laughs> say the least. And um, some of them were just like, I, it got deleted now. Cause at first I was like, should I report this? And I was like, you know what? Like I, in the past I would have, you know, reacted and wrote this whole thing and like reported it and been, you know, more triggered. And I was like, this time, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. Don't let it affect you. Report. That's how they win. Honestly, is yeah. really let it get to you. You know, mm -hmm. Rogan's piece of advice that I always took to heart was like, don't read the comments. Or I know, I know, but there's good comments though. There is. So yeah. if you do, you have to you have to sort of jump over the negative ones, or just to, mm -hmm. you know take the negative ones, which is a real hefty yeah. you know dose of salt, because they can, especially if you you know if you get in there and you start reading multiple negative comments, it can really fuck with your head, especially if you've yeah. got. You know, in your situation or, you know, you've got a background with trauma, like they can really get in there. We've had conversations with other people who have gotten a little bit of online fame uh, from their accomplishments. And, you know, we've heard stories of folks who became obsessed, like almost OCD 
yeah. uh, reading comments about themselves and having it slowly like start to warm their way into the point. Uh, they they couldn't that. let it go unaddressed. Like, you know, there are people Every time are, saying something, they have to respond have to, to respond. it. They have to contextualize. They have to, you know, elaborate yeah. this, you know, like the reason I hope you think that. No. You got to remind yourself, like, look, I don't have to explain myself to everyone. I don't have to regulate the image of myself with every personality. Mm -hmm. They're going to think yeah. what they're going to They're going to think. think what they're going to think. And look, really ignorant, too. That's what I was realizing today. I was like, you know what? Because it does happen to me, you know, when I hear these certain things and my inner, you know, abuser voice, I, you know, I've kind of, there's the inner critic. Mm -hmm. I've kind of started calling it the inner abuser voice because it's like, for me, I am very critical. I'm very like, oh, let me think critically. But for me, so then I tend to listen to this inner critic voice, but it's really just abuse. It's just abusive voice. So I was like, I'm going to call it the inner abuser. Have you and read? I don't want to listen to it as much now. I'm sorry. Ha have you read the book? I think it's trapped in the mirror and they they use the term negative introject um it's the hmm. same it's the same sort of thing but it's like yeah. yeah it's like that negative voice in yourself that tells you you're shit you're not good enough you're all this you're that and you think it's you but it's not that voice yeah, has, it's not you it's someone else who's it's been said these things. It's there. like the echo of trauma yeah it's like been yeah, yeah. Exactly. Trauma, and you think mm -hmm. that that's your true self speaking and you know and you can identify with it in which case you sort of agree with it yeah. or you can sort of fight it yeah. will step outside yourself outside and yourself, see yeah. that that's sort of just this like echo of this experience that happened a long time ago when i was vulnerable i was a kid i was helpless it's there yeah. but i don't have to listen to it or identify with what it's saying and, mm -hmm. yeah. yes so that exactly that's what i've been working on but when i have read these sort of things you know it's like that's the same voice and i'm like you know because the neural pathways have been built up from years of me yeah you know, internalizing it and then thinking it's my own thought and reconfirming it to myself and getting in that cycle. So it's like the neural pathways get activated. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, but I, I've stepped out of it. I was like, you know what, this, it really did piss me off for a while, but I was like, you know, these people don't even know me. They yep. don't. You'll never meet them too. You're not going to meet any of these people. I'm not going to meet any of them. I don't have to impress them at all. Like it's like, who cares? But I, I will read though this comment because it got deleted um, now. But this is what I thought was interesting. And I think it's, it, this could spark a conversation. So this person said, I can't help wondering whether the goalposts have moved around the definition of abuse. One dreaded issue in the trans thing is controlling how others see you, treat you, talk to you, none of which can be controlled. There are no examples in this piece of the so-called abuse the author endured, which allegedly supplies the mental health issues that led her down the road to transition. I've noticed that among generations of younger people than me, boomer generation, which generally you were one of several kids in a family, so the expectations of one's parents wasn't that high, and it certainly wasn't perfection. My mother was often nasty, and I didn't like it, but I also just put my attention elsewhere. And certainly her lack of sensitivity wasn't a good enough reason to mutilate my body and create a fake identity. Most of us hated something about our parents. So what? And why is everyone autistic? I infer that the goal is to relinquish the idea that other people are going to behave how you want them to, yes. and that there is a way that they should be treating you. And if they don't, that's cause for mental illness and insecurity. How about trying to deal with adversity? And then someone else replied, well, 
you know, she said that she had experienced verbal abuse. And then they replied to that. What I wish, um, this is a quote from that I said, what I wish they would have. So, so the piece was on and this. I should have explained this. What the piece was on was they asked me, what do you wish your parents would have known or said to you at the time? Okay. And so this is what, what I said in the piece. What I wish they would have said instead of all of the verbal abusive stuff was that I was a great kid, teen person with a lot of positive qualities and that I was worthy of love and potential and achievements despite having intense emotions and being autistic. And then this person said, that's not abuse. And notice that she says that she wants them to say what she wants them to say to her, which is controlling what yeah. they say and being unhappy about that. Ironically, if they told her that she's needy, it looks like they were telling her the truth and giving her useful advice. Controlling needy people are the worst. That really pissed me off because he was saying that, you know, that the abuse, it wasn't real abuse and that I'm just part of this snowflake generation. So I wanted to address that point, actually, um, and just what is abuse, right? And there really are different types. When people think of abuse, we're always thinking of um, hitting, right? Physical hitting, verbal insults, putting people down, your kids down, things like that. But that's the type of abuse of things that should not happen that happen in the early developmental period of the child. There is also a type of abuse of the things that should happen that do not happen as well, like the encouragement and things like that, communicating with the kid, you know, like nurturing them when they're young and giving them the attention that they need when they're at that particular formative period. So there are certain things that have to happen as well, which don't happen. So uh, mm -hmm. there, there can be a severe type of neglect that I think qualifies as abuse is what I'm saying. I'm not right. saying, like having a bad day or like one week where your parents ignored you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like a serious, like years and years. And like, this is the pattern. This is always how it's been. Your, your parents neglect you, they ignore you. It's not that they're hitting you or abusing you. They're just, they don't care. They're not giving you the attention. And there's, there's a form of abuse there too. It's not all like things that shouldn't happen that happened to the kid, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's the thing is like, there, there was a lot of different types of psychological gaslighting, you yeah. know, manipulation, triangulation, as well as like extremely derogatory verbal oh, yeah. attacks and some physical stuff. So it's like, you know, and I know that. And that's why at first I was like, they're, oh, they're, in, they're yeah. my, I felt, I felt angry on behalf of my, you know, child, my inner child. <laughs> I was like, you know what? They, you know, they're saying that this didn't happen. And I was like, you know what? They don't know. It doesn't, know me. It doesn't yeah. who cares? It you is, know. look, it is stupid though, that they made this assumption that you didn't experience any real abuse, you know? Right. You just, I think well, that's what a lot of people have said. Like, Not a lot, but I've gotten a couple comments that are like, oh, well, you say the word trauma, but you don't actually go into what it was. Oh my so God. therefore you're just making it up. And it's just like, well- Maybe I don't want to go into it. Maybe I don't want to go into it, but number two, Am I not talking about like medical trauma that I've had? Like, am I, I not giving like, you enough of my trauma? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm giving you enough. I don't want to go into like the primary, what I consider the primary trauma 
that caused me to get into this, yeah. you know, kind of trauma state, which led to me making these yes. other traumatic decisions. Other traumatic decisions. Well, that's what I want to address too. You know, it's just to put it in a really blunt way, and I'm sorry to say it because I'm going to say it in a really blunt way. But you know, when you look at someone who went through a process of removing their breasts. I think it's a pretty safe to assume that that person has probably experienced some legitimate real trauma. Right. Gotten to that point of, of feeling, you know, this is what I need, need to do to feel better and to readjust myself in the world and all that. So it's like, it's yeah, just very stupid. To kind of, yeah. A bit that someone would assume mm -hmm. that nothing real happened here in the situation. This person just got sucked into it. You know, it's dumb. Right. But the thing is that, there's some things that I under I understand his perspective, yeah. like because there are a lot of issues with, you know, um, this generation. Uh, I mean, I'm on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z, so I don't like to be lumped into Gen Z, okay. but I get it. Um, but with Gen Z and these younger people my age, um, they do have. There is an overuse of you know, traumafication, there is an overuse of the term abuse. I mean, this is just widespread, like even um, adults are mainly the people using this, right? They're saying True. this is abusive, this is traumatic, whatever. I mean, it's like politicians say it, right? Right. I agree. I think the word is definitely, it's losing its value. It's getting diluted. It doesn't mean like very much. So if many other abuse. words yeah. that we've seen yes. in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's linguistics, right? The, the postmodernist, language um molestation molestation deconstruction yeah. deconstruction okay so the last thing i wanted to go into um i wanted to ask i wanted to talk a bit about i guess where you're heading next um you mentioned earlier and i was going to bring it up but you already brought it up so i'll bring it up again you graduated recently from congratulations Laura. congratulations it is an accomplishment. I know not everyone would view it that way, but Brent's been through it. I've been through it. It's it does take a lot of work, you know. And there is something to there's just something to starting something and finishing it, even if it might take some people longer to do so than others. Um, seven years, and yeah. I was trans and <laughs> de-trans in that time. So it's, it's a bit of real journey. It kind of makes it a little more commendable to me the fact mm -hmm. that you did still stick with it through all that. And you're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to finish. I'm going to just finish. So what comes next for Laura Becker? Um, I heard you're getting a new job recently that you're excited yes. for and all of that. So, and you talked about mentoring um, other girls who are going through the gender stuff. And so talk a bit about that, you know, what's coming next for you? What are your plans? And, you know, go for it, man. Yeah. I mean, I have, a, I have a lot of plans. So I'm starting a new job. Um, and I'm going to be working in a psychiatric hospital where I was actually institutionalized when I was um, a teenager. Fascinating. So really come full circle. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be doing, um, you know, expressive arts um, kind of. My title is technically art therapist, but it's not really it's not clinical. It's not licensed. But I'm, I'm working with patients uh, in an inpatient and outpatient um, facility and doing art with them and, um, and different experiential things that, um, so it's perfect because I can kind of take all of my different interests, the visual art, but also music and nature and meditation and writing and maybe even improv, like who knows, you know, there's so many things, but I'm gonna be doing that. So I'm gonna be kind of getting into like the art therapy world. And I also am getting my uh, substitute teaching license 
so that I can sub part-time as a, an art teacher as well. So the art education and related stuff. We chatted I'm really about, excited about all that. Yeah, we chatted a bit about that one. Yeah. I've done mm -hmm. that. You know, I've had that experience already. Um, you know, many subjects, uh, particularly though, mostly English. Like I've done a couple long-term positions as an English teacher. And then I did seven months teaching a high school art. So as a mm -hmm. sub. As a sub. Yeah, so you know perfectly well, you know how the climate and, and all of that. You're gonna you're gonna put up with a lot of crap for like terrible pay, but you will definitely learn things, you know, about yourself. And it subbing is an interesting way to get into the education experience too, because you get to kind of like taste test all the different grade levels and and see yeah what you vibe with. Mm -hmm. That's that's part of the draw. They're also really desperate for subs in Milwaukee, so they're paying them like tw like twenty five bucks an hour, which is like a higher. I mean, it's not you know, it's not super that's high, good. but it's, it's good. good. Right? So that would be my ideal rate to start out. So there's that's a um, part of it. But then in terms of the Funk God stuff, I have ideas. So I want to open uh, an Etsy shop and just sort of make a cohesive, you know, funky experience, right? So I want to kind of just have an excuse to go thrifting more and just do the stuff I already do. Kind of <laughs> I want to get like re-thrifted, just, you know, decor and uh, objects and clothes and things and like sell them um, on Etsy. And then also connect that sort of um, business to a more, you know, traditional freelance sort of graphic design thing and put my art onto, you know, uh, products, phone cases, socks, um, making prints, of art and photography. So really trying to make the most of that and also trying to launch uh, some of my uh, other things. So my Substack, which is Funky Psyche and doing my writing. And I'm also going to launch a vlog series called Funky Psyche as well, um, which should have an audio component too. So a podcast. Um, and I want that to be sort of a you know, just, I like to tell stories. So I want to, you know, kind of share updates of what's going on. And when I'm too lazy to like write an essay about it, you know, I can just share verbally because I, you know, I love to talk. So that kind of whole thing um, are all the sorts of things. And then in the kind of broad future, I'm considering getting my um, art therapy degree so that I can actually be a licensed, um, and opening up like a holistic uh, healing arts experience that would be, you know, a lot of different types of creative work and also talk therapy, psychodynamic therapy. So a lot of ideas. So That's great. It's better than having like no ideas. And they're yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm hoping that I got a job like secure before I graduated because otherwise. Yeah. Like I've been having existential crisis, like pretty yeah. bad, but it would be so much worse if I didn't have a job, you know, lined up. I feel that. That's man. like our life right now. Uh, <laughs> everyone, yeah. Everyone who wants to check out some of Laura's art and stuff, go to funkgod.com and you can see her art, photography, her music, yeah, I'll have, I'll have writing. All, all Laura's links will be in the description. Podcast, all that stuff is on funkgod.com. And then your sub stack, you said, was funky. Psyche. Yeah, I heard, uh, I think I heard 
two or at least one, one or two of the episodes you had done of the trans psyche. Yeah. Uh, trans psyche yeah. is the uh, podcast that I do with um, my friend, Vincent Dabani, who is a therapist in South Africa, but he is like so busy now like doing practical therapy work that he has not had time to record. So I'm kind of doing, a, you know, my own sort of pause. Yeah. Sound pause. It's fine. But I listened to the, I definitely remember listening to the first episode and I want you to continue it. I think, I think you should keep doing a podcast. Like mm -hmm. you say, you like to talk and there is a skill to it. it it's, it's, you know, yeah, I, I do my own audio editing and everything, yeah. all the graphics for it. So even though everyone and their mother is starting a podcast, so part of me feels like bad when I tell people to do it. Like I almost want to tell them not to do it just because it's so frustrating and so much work. And there's a lot of competition right now. But at the same time, I actually want to tell everyone to do it too. Because you know, I, so mean, I look at it as a journal. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's a journal that you have to like fuck around with and edit if yeah. you want to. I mean, I don't care that much. Like I said, I have all these other ideas. I'm not trying to like profit hugely off of this. It's just an excuse for me to Makes not sense. have to write so many essays <laughs> because otherwise I'd be sharing these stories, you know, in other ways too. You just so, have to make, you have to make stuff and it's, not it's, have to. it's the beauty and the curse of being a creative person. It's like, if you yeah. really, if that's in you, that's your temperament, that's your personality. It's like, you really do have to make stuff or you'll, you'll wilt like Peter says. Yeah. Like, uh, and the more, the more like kind of, I feel from the depression and, and feel more alive, the more, energy I have to create. Hence why I'm like working in like six different mediums and also working on my second musical album and like doing just, it's just, it's a lot. And I might not be able to always keep up with all of it, but it's better than having no ideas. So. That's true. All right. Before we wrap it up, we need to see Norm. Yeah. So Norm. So, okay. So I had Norm sitting on my lap while we were talking and I wanted to like bring him out, but then I was like, this isn't the right time so he <laughs> off my lap. And so I'm, I might have to go find him. All right. So we're going to let you go find him and yeah. we'll, we'll cut and okay. come back when you have Norm. Yeah. Right. Yes. I hope he's around. Otherwise I'll bring out another one. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Norm. I'm like, we can't like, end the show and not see the rats. <laughs> oh, the rats are adorable. Yes, we need to see the rats. Gotta see the rats for sure. Little guys. Yeah, I think she brought, I think she brought all of them on or last time? She, she definitely showed, yeah, she had a few of them. Well, she had the rat drawer last time too. Yeah, the rat drawer. There's no drawer anymore, they don't have the rat drawer. Oh, she moved. Yeah, she's a new place, no more. I mean, she could get a new rat drawer. We moved too. Yeah, we're all we're both in different spots than we were last time we chatted. Mm -hmm. A lot happens in a few months. Life happens. Yes, a lot happens in a few months. That little Norman guy. Rats are so cool. I would totally hold the rats. Oh, 
Okay, so unfortunately, I don't know where Norm is right now. Damn it, Norm. Come on, Norm. Why are you hiding from us? No, I don't I don't know. I try to, like, get some food or whatever, but he's like, I don't I didn't know where he is. But yeah. I did bring out another fellow that I haven't shown before. Okay. So this one is Cosmo. This is Cosmo. Cosmic Rat. For those listening, we are looking at a gray rat right now. He's so cute. So if you are scared of rats and for freaked out, you might not be enjoying this. But you shouldn't be scared of rats because rats are pretty freaking harmless. And they're cute. Oh, um, look at the little guy. As long as they're not running around on the street carrying around look at stuff. Look feet and hands. Is, oh, so cute. You know, I, they're just definitely rats are an underestimated pet i'm gonna just say that right they now they really are so Cosmo, right now he's a little bit you know he because i just picked him up out of the cage he's a little bit more tense but usually he it, it, he, he is so floppy that i'll try to hold him and he just falls out of my hands like <laughs> like dude because he, he won't even he he's so trusting of me that he won't even like be he like he, he doesn't even support himself like when i hold him he's just such a baby he's like i don't need to because docile any muscles totally Aww. docile i did bring some yogurt covered raisins as a treat Ooh, for like yogurt covered raisins oh uh, you just freak them out yeah because when he hears like opening of things usually they like it but he 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 hasn't been out as much as yeah. um Danny and Norm have. He hasn't been, I don't bring him out here as much, but let's see if he'll eat one of these. He might be kind of scared right now. He I'm knows not sure why. He knows Usually why. he's, uh, he's like, I can tell they can see me. Go ahead, eat it. Go ahead, Cosmo. It's fine. His heart is beating very fast. Yeah. He's like, like what is my dog giving radar a treat when we're outside? It just doesn't happen because there's too, right. much, too much oh. going on. So you need it? You need it? No? Come on, Cosmo. I'm going to eat one. Oh, okay. Maybe. We'll see if he'll drink some water. Oh, man, Cosmo. <laughs> we drink and eat out of the same thing. Dangerous rhetoric, guys. Aww. We All types of guests on our show, including rats. Um, sometimes you just got to have some rat guests. Cosmo, thank you for joining us. Laura, thank you for joining us. We really mm -hmm. appreciate it. We love what you do. We think you're a great person and a beautiful person we can't wait to hang out in person actually i and, know i can't yeah. wait for that i if do want to have that drum circle yes we're gonna do that we're definitely gonna do a drum circle and you know if you're ever in in new york city let us know you know love yeah, to do sure. or something like that or you know maybe we could put you up for for a night in the room or something so that would be very fun yeah. well i appreciate you guys and having me on again i hope we'll that do it again, was, again. was good not, I don't even remember. It's just, been, it's just, been, it feels like light years have happened since yeah. since October. For so, sure, we're in different places. Brad and I were just talking about that. It's like mm -hmm. him and I are in a new place. You're in a new place. So it's like yeah. we're not even sitting in the same places. Mm -hmm. We are different beings now. Yeah. All right, guys. Don't forget, yeah. like, subscribe. I'm hearing echo. Comment. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it comes in and out. I just hope this turned out okay, but we'll see. I'm crossing my freaking fingers. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we've been like, we've been trying to get used to StreamYard, so we just started using it, and Brent and I are really trying to figure all this out. Nobody and needs to hear that part. It's okay. Whatever. Thanks for listening, guys. Like, comment, sub, donate. Again, go to funkgod.com and check out Laura's work, and go follow her on Twitter if she wants you to. I don't know. I know. 
No, actually, I've locked my pro my personal one, but you can follow me on Twitter at Funk God Artist. At Funk God. All funky good stuff. It's all pro social. So my other one is a little more sketchy. That's where you have all the, me the mellow drama that That's where I have all my mellow drama. Yeah. That JK Rowling is just scrolling past. And just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. We love you. Yeah, we'll be back. Take Bye. care.